are looking at the minor prophets. We did Hosea last week and we saw how God loves us uh, in the midst of our sin and how he's always there ready to take us back when we repent. And it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, time as we looked last week at Hosea. Today we look at Joel, the book of Joel. And I am titled this, The Day of the Lord. Because Joel is going to talk to us about a couple things. But first, just kind of an overall view of Joel. Now Joel's name in Hebrew, actually there is no J in Hebrew. So his name in Hebrew is Yoel. And anytime you see an E-L at the end, it means God. And so his name literally means Yahweh is God. And we, that's about all we know about Joel. We know his dad's name, Pethuel, but we don't know anything more about Pethuel. Joel's one of these guys that pops up. So, so some of what we look at, we normally uh, will see quite often in, in these, you're going to see the names of the kings that they were prophesying under. Joel doesn't do that, so we don't really even have a date. The only thing we can come close to is that at the end of Joel, in chapter 3, it's only three chapters long, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And then if you look over right across the page in Amos, verse 2, we see the exact same phrase. The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice. So if we're going to look at, we're, we're going to look at this and say, most likely, Joel wrote first. End of Joel is these words. Amos picks up this same line and uses those same words. So we, can, we know when Amos wrote. Amos wrote about 760 B.C. And he wrote to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of, of Israel. And we know that Joel wrote to the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, because he mentions another number of times the hill of Zion. He mentions Jerusalem itself. We know that he wrote to them. So figuring that Amos wrote about 760 B.C., we come back and we're going to put, uh, we're going to put Joel around 800 B.C. that he's writing. He's writing before Amos. He's writing to the to the southern kingdom, to the kingdom of Judah. And so we're going to put him at about 800 B.C. that he's writing to the people in Jerusalem, writing to the people in Judea. And he's going to write about two things. One, he's going to write about something that had just happened. And then he's going to write about something that is coming. And that thing that's coming is a long ways off. So let's turn to Joel chapter 1. And let's look at the first four verses. Joel 1, 1 through 4. 
the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, O elders, and listen, all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in our days or in our father's days? Tell your sons about it. Let your sons tell their sons and their sons to the next generation. That the gnawing what the gnawing locusts have left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Now this must have been quite a plague. Because did you hear what he said? He says, oh man, has anything like this happened in your lifetime? You know, didn't people say that a little bit about COVID? We've never seen anything like this. That's what Joel is saying. We haven't seen it. Matter of fact, when we're going to be telling our kids for generation after generation about what happened. This was a plague of locusts that God sent into Israel to destroy everything. Now, how many of you have seen a, an actual locust? Anybody? Okay, all right. I, I want to show you a picture of them. Because this is, this is what, it, it's a grasshopper, but I want you to notice, that's a person's hand. Look how big they are. They're huge. Okay? And when we talk about a swarm of locusts, and what they can do. Now, there are records, we have records of modern day locust infestations or invasion, whatever you want. They'll be 400 miles wide and they will strip everything. And there will be literally billions, B, billions of locusts that will run through. Uh, in 2018 in Ethiopia, this is a picture. Now those are two kids standing in the middle of that locust swarm. That's, that's 2018. In 1919, excuse me, 1915, Israel experienced a plague of locusts. On the left, you see the tree before the locusts came. On the right is the same tree. Well, wait. Which way are you guys? Okay. There. Okay? That's what locusts do. They strip everything. They're voracious. They, will, they can eat many times their weight in a day. And they will go through countries and devastate them. And that's what had happened in Israel at the time. They came through and they destroyed everything. But it should not have been unexpected because in Deuteronomy 28, God was giving the, the children of Israel, first he gave the blessings. He said, if you honor me, if you follow me, if you do what I'm telling you to do, you will have blessings. And then he turns and he says, and if you don't, here's one of the curses. Deuteronomy 28, 38, and you shall bring out much seed to be to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. And they did. 
And so as Joel prophesies during this, in this first part of this chapter, he's saying, are you not getting it? God is judging us for what we've done because they had turned from the Lord. They had the priest in, in this time, the priest had gone amok. They weren't preaching or they weren't teaching the gospel, not the gospel at that time, but they weren't preaching the law. They weren't practicing what they did. They were in it for the money. And when this happens, if you, if you were to read the rest of, of uh, the first chapter here, the next few verses, he talks about all the people that it affects. He talks about the drunks, because there is no, he said, you, you guys that are alcoholics, you're in trouble. There is no grapes left to make wine with. He talks about the farmers. He talks, he even goes down and he says, and you preachers, you preachers are in trouble because there's, there's nothing to give. There wasn't the harvest to come and bring because that's the way that the priests lived. They were all in trouble because of that. And so Joel talks to us about this current event that occurred. And then in verse 14, he switches gears. You see, most of the prophets had a, a near prophecy and then a far prophecy. He's been prophesying about this is what's happening. You guys need to repent. You need to come back to the Lord. You need to stop what you're doing and turn around and do what God asks you to do. And so now he says, but I want you to also know there's a far prophecy. At a, in chapter 1, in verse 14, he introduces this phrase to the Bible. This is the first time it is used in the Bible, and he calls it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This is a technical term. It's only used 75 times in the Bible, this particular term. It is introduced here by Joel. Joel will use it five times in his three chapters that he writes. And that day of the Lord, in every situation where it's used in the Bible, talks about a time from the great tribulation through the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. The day of the Lord isn't a particular day. It is a period of time in which God will come back and he will be very evident in the earth. One, through the tribulation period time and then through his thousand year reign. When we talk about the day of the Lord that Joel introduces here, that's the time period we're talking about. And when he talks about this, he is going to change we saw how he talked about the destruction that was going to happen when the locusts came, or what did happen. When we look at the day of the Lord, we're going to look to the future. He's looking at least 2,000, or almost 3,000 years later, right? Because here we are in 2022, and the day of the Lord has not started yet. And so we're, he's looking to that time, and I want you to see what he, how he pictures this. 
Okay, this is what he sees when he sees the future, the day of the Lord, beginning in verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19. To you, O Lord, I cry, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the fields pant for you, for the water brooks are dried up. The fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy hill. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn is spreading over the mountains. Is there a great and mighty people? There has never been anything like this, nor will there ever be anything again after it to the years of many generations. A fire consumes them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, like war horses, so they run. With a, with a noise of the chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, they crackle of a flame of fire consuming the stubble like a mighty people arranged for battle. And then I want you to look over at verses 30 and 31 of chapter 2. 30 and 31 of chapter 2. I will display wonders in the skies and on the earth. Blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness. The moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That's quite an explanation. Remember, he is looking forward to what's going to come. And he tells us, very similar to what happened with the locusts, we're going to see that happen with fire and with other wonders. And as we look at this, it is very much like what we read in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 8, it talks about the trumpet judgments. Now, what did he say? He said, blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm from my holy hill. Revelation chapter 8, I want you to watch these, and I want you to compare them to what we just read. The first trumpet sounded, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees was burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, 
and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters, and the name of the star was called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. That means they became undrinkable. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck, so a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. You see the similarities? As John writes, and remember John is seeing a vision in real time in heaven. He's looking down. He's looking at the future and he's saying, this is what I see. Now it's interesting because can you imagine what it would be like for him, for Joel to be telling about a future event that's, that's almost 3,000 years future from him. Uh, anybody here, now okay, I, I'm going to get in trouble on this one. Is there anybody here that grew up writing in a, uh, in a horse-drawn vehicle to go to school or anything like that? Nobody? Oh, whew, I, I dodged the bullet. My dad, my dad grew up riding. He was, he was from Arkansas, and he grew up, he would ride to school on a horse. He was, he was a sharecropper's son. And he would talk about, they would hitch up the wagon, to go, to, to go places, go into town. They lived out in a very rural community in Arkansas. And uh, he, he remembers the first time that uh, he saw a tractor because they plowed with horses. And, and, you know, they could not, as a sharecropper, you could not afford a tractor to pull. And, and so when, when it came time for a man to go to the moon... My father sat there in awe. We, I mean, I, I can remember the TV being on uh, all during the moonshot, right? Because everybody's going, wow, man, finally. And, and were there a lot of people that said, no way, it's all, it, it was all staged in Hollywood, <laughs> right? And that's just in those few years. They couldn't, I mean, we watched Buck Rogers, right? And we didn't realize that Buck Rogers was really going to happen, right? That we were really going to put people in a rocket ship and Dick Tracy could talk to people on, the, on his Apple Watch. Ooh, did that hit home? Can you imagine what Joel, now look at the description that he gives about what was going to happen. And, and notice he says, its appearance was like. He doesn't say this was a certain thing. He says, its appearance, in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, their appearance is like a horse, like war horses, so they run. With the noise of the chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains like the crackling of the flame of fire of the stubble, like mighty men arranged in battle. Now, I know we have a few Vietnam vets in here. What, is that, what does that sound like? The war of battle? Helicopters coming in, swooping over? 
coming in, laying down napalm. The war of battle being sounding in your ears. I think what, what he is seeing is something that he has no way of explaining. It's like nothing he's ever seen before. And he's still looking future. Remember that. We're looking to the future. We, we have, I mean, there's technology that's going on now. Uh, my son is getting ready to retire from, from the Army uh, this next year. And even from the time that he was in the first Gulf, Gulf War until now, their technology has expanded amazingly as to what they can do. They have, they, they have created all different kinds of, and that's what he's, he's talking about. He's, he's showing us that there is coming a time when God is going to say, let me show you my power. But the beautiful part of it is, is right in the middle of chapter 12, or 12, right in the middle of chapter 2, Verse 12, I want you to look at what God says right in the middle of all of this terror that's going to come in the future, in the day of the Lord. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. He says, listen, you have the chance to repent and come back. It's never too late to repent and seek God. He says, if you'll seek me, just maybe. If you'll come back and turn, he says, what, with your whole heart? God will relent. And he won't bring this judgment. Now I got news for you. I don't believe the world ever will. Because the world has turned their back on God. But we can do that as individuals. We can do that. We can repent. We can turn with our whole hearts. And God will say, welcome to my family. Or welcome back to, to me. It's never too late to repent and seek God. Well, he's going to spend the rest of the time in chapters 2 and 3, talking about this period of time, the day of the Lord, from the great tribulation until the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And in Joel 2, 18 and 19, God makes a promise to us. Then, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people, the people will answer and say to, to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied in full with him, 
and I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. Who's he talking to? Who are his people? Israel. The children of Abraham. He's going back and he talks about his land and his people. He is going to one day keep his promise to Abraham. Now, what did, you go back with me all the way into what we did last year with Genesis and the Abrahamic promise. What did, what did he say to Abraham? I will do a couple things. One, I will give you a land. Okay? He says, every place that your foot walked, it's yours. And it's huge. It's, we're, the Israel that we know today is a fraction of what God promised Abraham. And he said, number two, I'm going to give you a great people. A nation. A great nation. And he says, they're going to come from all over. We're going to bring them back. And then the third thing he, he promised was what? That he would bless all nations by himself. And he did that in Jesus Christ. When Jesus came and died on the cross, all nations were blessed. Because what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So he's saying, there's coming a time when I am going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. And that's what he's saying here. There will be a time, and, it, and when we look at this day of the Lord, it's also mentioned in, uh, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, and in the book of Revelation. And when we look at these together, we see this picture of God keeping his promise. Now, most of the time when people think about the book of Revelation, they, they think about what? God's judgment. God is judging, right? I want you to take a different view on it. It's God's mercy. It's God's it's grace. Because, see, the people of Israel have, even today, the majority of the people of Israel have turned their back on God. They still don't believe that he's the Messiah. But all of these, all of the, the, the tribulation and then the thousand year reign of Christ is all to show that he still has a plan. He still loves them. And he wants them to believe in him as the Messiah, the Christ. That's what Messiah means. Christ means Messiah in Greek. He's Jesus Christ, Jesus, Messiah, you have to believe in me. And so what does the, when we look into the book of Revelation, what do we see? We see God's love and his mercy. First he starts out by having their temple rebuilt. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. It's going to be rebuilt during the time of tribulation. And people from all over the world are going to stream back to Israel to be his people. And he's going to provide two witnesses to stand for three and a half years in front of the temple. And they're going to preach the gospel. You guys, you got to listen. The Jesus who hung on the cross that, that you crucified is the Messiah. He rose again. And for three and a half years, those two witnesses are going to proclaim 
Now, I don't know how many of you have been watching the queen's funeral. I mean, for the last nine days, eight days, we've been watching. Everything's been happening in England. And you've been watching it in real time. I mean, you can just flip on the channel and you can see what's going on. They had uh, the, the line to just walk by her casket was five miles long. It took you 14, it took people 14 hours waiting in line to see the queen's casket. And we can watch it all, right? Can you imagine what it's going to be like when those two men that, that come back, whoever they are, I'm not going to postulate that, that's a whole other sermon, but they're going to stand in front of the temple and they're just going to, hey, we, today at the temple... You know, here we are with the two evangelists. This is day number 900, whatever, of them preaching. And people are going to be able to see this life. Not only that, you want to see the grace of God? He's going to take 144,000 Jewish evangelists. He's going to anoint them with the Holy Spirit. And he's going to send them all over the world to preach the gospel and especially to the Jewish people. Come back. Jesus is the Messiah. Come back to the land. And then if that's not enough, it says the only time in Scripture that it says an angel preaches the gospel to the whole world at one time. He's going to do that. And then the people of Israel would come back, and if you read through the book of Revelation, God protects them while everybody's trying to destroy them, and then we have the battle of Armageddon, and then he ushers them in to the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's God's love story. And not only does it affect those people, but it affects us, doesn't it? Because we are the people that were blessed by hearing the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that all families would be blessed through him. And we hear that word and we're able to respond. Now I praise God, now I don't know about you, there, there are probably people here sitting here today that you don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And that's okay. Because it'll all get fixed someday. We'll know when we get there. But I don't plan on being here. Because one of, the, one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to get caught up. And we're not going to be here to worry about that. But there are going to be millions and millions. The Bible in Revelation talks about myriads and myriads that will get saved during the tribulation time. And they will be martyred, and they will stand before the throne. It's God's last effort to bring people to him because the very very next chapter is what? It's eternity. The, in chapter 3 of Joel, chapter 3 of Joel, verse 14, it says this, multitudes Multitudes in the valley of decision 
For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. You see, that's what we're, where we're living today. People are in the valley of decision. You have a choice. Because Jesus said, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you have two choices. You can do it today. And you can have the promise for eternity. Or there's another choice. Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe that God is alive, right? God is dead movement. I believe I'm my own God. And Jesus said, one day you'll stand before me and the books will be opened. And the first book I'm going to open is the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? And then he says, another book is going to be open, and it's going to be a book of your deeds. And you're going to stand before God, and you're going to be judged. And at the end of it, you will have nothing less to do but to kneel before Jesus and say, you truly were Lord. And God will say, to the abyss for eternal damnation. We don't like to tell that story. Because people think God is cruel. No, God gave you every chance in the world to come to him. I moved literally heaven and earth. That's what the book of Revelation is is about. I moved heaven and earth so that you could come to know me as Savior. And if you rejected me, that's on you. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says at the acceptable time... I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He says, says, I came. I listened. I sent the Holy Spirit to draw you to myself. All you have to do is accept me, and now's the time. Now's the day to do that. Well, I want you to look at one more verse in the book of Joel. Verse 18. As Joel closes out his little three-chapter book, he says, And in that day the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah will flow with water, and the spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Chittim. Revelation chapter 21, I want you to see the comparison here. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready for a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. 
and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. You see, Joel takes us all the way to that moment when we get to heaven. We get not just the present heaven, but that day when God creates the new heaven and the new earth. We get to walk back in to to a garden of Eden. The tree of life will be planted beside the river. We'll be able to pick its fruit as it blossoms each month. We'll be able to stand by the the river that flows from the throne of God. And we will have a place. He's prepared for us a place, right? And remember John 14? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will, what? I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also forever. Amen.